This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another World of UX podcast. This is Darren Hood. I'm your host for the show, and we are going to, again, do a little quick recap and then move on in our coverage on the topic where on this podcast, we talk about everything related to the discipline of user experience. Thus far, we've been taking a look at things from more of a definition perspective, But last week, as we wrapped up the first topic of what is UX, we got into a little bit of history. We started looking at the world of Frederick Winslow Taylor. We looked at some early work with Toyota, things that fed into their just-in-time process. We looked at the work of Henry Dreyfus, and we talked about Don Norman for a little bit. And the purpose of going over each one of those historical elements associated with user experience was showing how they fit into what we are, who we are, the type of things that we do, the foundations that relate. Frederick Winslow Taylor's work was not thought of as user experience. I want to make sure that I reiterate that and make that clear. The work of Toyota was not referred to as UX, user experience, or any of its predecessor disciplines, if you will. The work of Henry Dreyfus was not referred to as UX. You see where I'm going with this. It wasn't until Donald Norman came along that user experience as a phrase, we won't even talk about it as a discipline or things of that nature, but it wasn't until he came along that it was first mentioned. He wasn't even thinking about it in the light that we think about it today in general. What we're trying to point out was we're trying to show the evolution. We're trying to show some of the history. And yes, there are a lot of other things that we could talk about because as part of user experience, you have human machine interaction or HMI. We have human computer interaction or HCI. We didn't spend any time, not much anyway, not last week, talking about information architecture or interaction design, which are the first two most prominent titles and job type practices that we see in the world that, that we now live, these were these were predecessors to what today is more commonly referred to as UX. And that is the most dominant title that you will see in the job market today and the most recognizable aspect of the type of work that we as user experience professionals do. What we need to understand, though, is that the discipline itself has a long and storied history. I mentioned last week, you can go all the way back to Gutenberg, and there were things that they did with the printing press to make things easy and to optimize that will never get credited to UX. But one thing we need to understand is that what has become a formal discipline for many of us has a long and storied history. And just because it wasn't referred to as UX doesn't mean that it wasn't UX. I remember being on another podcast one day where someone literally said, and I'm not shaming the person, I'm just pointing out a fact. A person made a statement and they said that if a person says that they have 20 years of UX working experience, 
They're lying. Nobody has 20 years of experience. I want to make sure that everybody under the sound of my voice understands that that concept, that mindset, that historical doctrine that some people are actually embracing today is 1 billion percent incorrect. I am not the only person out there with more than 20 years of UX experience. There are quite a few people. I've met some of them. I know some of them. And the things that people do have done over the course of their careers do validate their claims. My claim is validated. There are people who have gotten upset because I said such a thing. Uh, and I said last week, I believe, that I had designed my first website in 1996. I actually, after the show went back and looked, it was, it was actually 1995 when I designed my first website and not 1996. I was cheating myself out of a year of experience. So go figure. And it wasn't just that I designed a website. It's not that I was a web designer and I was a web designer at that time. I was just getting started as were many other people, but it was how I was creating the website. Just as we mentioned what happened with Frederick Winslow Taylor and with Henry Dreyfus and the work that was going on with Toyota, things of that nature. It's one thing to make a claim and another thing to actually have done the work or the things that are derivative of what we know as being a part of the UX discipline. So when you take the time to make sure that the navigation is appropriate, that it's optimal, when you take the time to evaluate what you're doing in your designs to make sure that information is findable, to make sure that the nomenclature is appropriate and that people can relate to it. When you take time before you were referred to as a UX professional, when you take the time to test your designs, to iteratively approach your work, to make sure that you're doing the best possible thing for the user and the best possible things for the business, that is what we now know as part of the user experience discipline. So, and I also want to sort of, present a flip side of that in a sense, because we also have a, a problem today in the user experience community. I'm not going to spend much time on this today because we're going to get into a little bit more of a historical, um, cover more history, I should say, today for the podcast. There are a lot of people today, many of us went back and we look, hey, we were doing the work, take credit for it. Absolutely. But today, there are a lot of people that are claiming to have done UX work, and they did not. There are people that are modifying their resumes and their LinkedIn profiles, making it look as if they have been doing UX for X number of years, and that's not the case. We're not going to talk about that today, though. I just want to plant a seed. I want to say over these airwaves, loud and clear, that doing such a thing, claiming that you have X number of years of UX experience when you do not. There are people, I mean, these people are, they have zero years of UX experience and then abracadabra, all of a sudden they have 10 years of experience. This is not the case at all. Uh, it, it is happening at such epidemic levels. It's downright shocking. And it is something that is happening on a global scale. When I was a manager once, for an unnamed company. I won't, I won't divulge where I was working at the time when I was doing this and I was reviewing resumes. 
for people who were applying for UX positions, it was amazing how many people claimed to have UX experience and they had zero. And to me, it was extremely easy to see. I even remember an instance where someone was applying for a UX position with my team, my group, my company, and did not get the job. And the very next week, they were applying for a job as a developer. They were highlighted as a candidate that was being pushed for a developer position. That's interesting. Do you want to be a UX designer or architect, or do you want to be a developer? And I'm not saying that people don't have the option to do either. Some people have interpreted my passions that way. That is incorrect. But we do have a responsibility to present ourselves in an ethical manner whenever we're applying for a position. And because there's such a massive influx of people today in these positions that are not qualified at all, and you'll understand how this ties in to, to the subject shortly, um, people don't meet the qualifications for a position. It is critical that people simply don't apply. Or if you apply, don't expect anything. But there is another inherent problem. And so today, as we where that ties in, we're going to take a look, building upon what we talked about last week, we're going to take a historical look at UX in more recent times. I told you about a lot of the foundational factors and things that were going on that can be attributed to UX. Even if there was a time machine, people wouldn't claim that they were part of UX, but that's not the point. We want people to, to understand the, the long, again, storied history associated with this discipline. Let us make no mistakes that it is critical to understand that UX is not a flash in the pan. It's not something that came out of nowhere. It's not a fad, but it is critical for us to know and understand what constitutes UX and this historical uh, perspective that I'm about to share with you is critical to know as well, because if you don't, you will make the mistake of hiring the wrong people. You will make the mistake of letting that person with the fudged resume get past you and appearing to be a perfect match for your team when the truth is that whether that person intended to do it or not, intentions are completely worthless. Whether the person intends to do it or not, they're going to create a problem for your team, for your operation, for your company, for your users. At any rate, let's get into this historical timeline, if you will. And last week, I finished the session by talking about Don Norman. Don Norman was the first person who was referred to with UX or user experience in their title in modern times. And when Don Norman received the title of, of UX, he was working for Apple. It was in about 1995. And this begins our, our timeline review. This is when things began to change. Shortly after that, we experienced what many of you will remember, I'm sure. Some do not. They had no knowledge of the dot-com bust. But in the late 1990s, we experienced a dot-com bust. There was this massive rush to the internet. And I should digress here. It's Isn't it funny that the first person who did user experience-related work officially, on paper, acknowledged as a UX professional, that that individual 
was not working on websites, mobile apps, or anything of that sort. He was working on hardware. He was employing what we now know as UX principles to optimize the use of hardware-based solutions and products. There's something else to put in our hip pocket. So it's funny that a few years later, because of UX coming to the rescue, I like to think of it that way, UX coming to the rescue when it comes to to the internet and what was going on in the dot-com world, it didn't start with that. It started with hardware. And many of us have had the opportunity to apply UX principles in the hardware arena. So it's really nice to see. I, I, I mentioned before, I do believe that, that UX is a discipline that is easily applied across different types of form factors and experiences. So it's not limited to websites. It's not limited to mobile applications. User experience principles can indeed be applied to hardware. It can be applied to a work cart. It can be applied to the control panel in an elevator. UX can be applied to the cockpit in an airplane, to the dashboard in an automobile. There are so many different things that UX can be applied to. Let us not limit our perception of the application of UX. It is a pervasive discipline and we need to think of it that way. And who knows, some of you under the sound of my voice, you may end up working for a company where you need to look at it beyond the traditional senses. But before I, I lose my, my place here, Don Norman, 1995, dot-com bust in the late 1990s the this is where people were rolling out these websites but they were so focused on establishing a presence on the internet but they weren't thinking about mental models they weren't trying to make things easy to use and it was all about showcasing what you had without taking the users into consideration which is why the early work of someone like Alan Cooper is so critical because this is the person who, person in the world of UX that applied UX principles to develop user-centered designs. And he was the first person to use personas to help ground designs in being focused on being executed and, and embraced and engaged with by users. Just dynamite work that took place. And he's been around for so long. A person that does not get mentioned is, is off forgotten in the world of UX, but just fantastic work. But at any rate, in the timeline, Don Norman, dot-com bust, UX rescues from the dot-com bust, helping to establish more user-centered designs. And during that time, most of the positions from a career standpoint that were available when it came to UX were available through creative agencies not through standard corporate uh, environments, but through creative agencies. And the creative agencies were being called upon by the corporations when the light bulb came on to come in and help drive user-centered experiences. Not too long after that, however, IBM and NASA ended up conducting some research and the research that they conducted identified the return on investment associated 
with UX. And they learned that for every dollar you invest, you could receive anywhere from 10 to, I believe of NASA, NASA study, I believe the number was approximately 240%. So for every dollar you invested, you could get up to $240 back. Well, when that happened, the light bulb came on for the corporations and the corporations began to flock toward UX. So initially, most of the positions, if you wanted to work in the world of UX as an information architect or as an interaction designer, it was going to be at the creative agencies for the most part. But when the ROI news came along, then the corporations wanted their piece of the pie as well. So you have a lot of big name companies that started to get involved and started to build UX teams. But there was an inherent problem at the time. Everybody wanted their piece of the ROI pie, but they did not take the time. The vast, vast, vast majority of companies did not take the time to gain an understanding of what UX was all about. So the first true disconnect associated with UX is now in place because if you bring UX into your company, if you establish a UX team, if you hire people, if you bring in a person to run your UX operation and you don't know what UX is and you don't understand how it works and you don't understand how it fits, in the design process, there is no way that you're going to be able to apply UX properly. You're going to hire the wrong people to run your, your teams. You're going to bring the wrong people on your teams. The people that are fudging their resumes are going to succeed. And yes, this is happening in epidemic proportions today. And I have confirmed it around the globe. What people are having to say and do, trying to present and defend the discipline of UX would shock you. Maybe not all of you, but some of you, it would shock you. People think that UX is readily received, but the truth is because people don't understand what it is, they don't know how to interact. So this presents a problem. If you don't know what UX is, if you don't know its value, if you don't know how to hire for it, if you don't know how to build teams, but you dare to go through the process, that is, UX operation is going to be dysfunctional, and this is where we are in general. But it was compounded not too long after that, between 2010 and 2015, we also start to see the rise of the MOOCs. We start to see uh, the, the different types of educational resources made available, not in universities and colleges, and although a lot of universities and colleges did start offering programs, the MOOCs, M-O-O-C, it, it is a type of education, your Udemy's of the world, your Coursera's of the world, your Etigo's of the world, start to make available ways for people to become educated about UX, but they forget with that as well. Instructional design principles have to be in place. The right people have to be teaching. And we're about to run out of time, so I'll pick up uh, here next week. We have now another dilemma. We have massive numbers of people trying to get into UX, companies trying to hire for UX, people trying to find out what it takes to get into UX, and a lot of what truly represents the discipline 
is really at somewhat of a crossroads, a cognitive crossroads because of the lack of understanding, because of the lack of qualified people. And now we enter what I heard another person refer to as the gold rush of UX. And then it leads to what I will talk about next week, the wild, wild west of UX. But folks, that's all the time that we have for today. So thanks for joining me on today. Until next week, in the world of UX, this is Darren Hood. Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.